If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. Bequests aren't subject to federal tax or capital gains taxes. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the word of the Lord endures forever. We have listener comments and questions about dual income, no kids situations. Is that the same thing as being single and celibate? We have a question on the ordering of the commandments. It's kind of a perennial one when it comes to the way that the Roman Catholics as versus other Christians and Lutherans included number the commandments. And one about, what about that graven images? Do Lutherans and Catholics leave out the command against graven images? It's time for listener email, the issues, etc. comment line. The email address, talkback at issuesetc.org. And the comment line, 618-223-8382. A little bit later, Pastor Tom Baker joins us to teach a Sunday school lesson on the three men in the fiery furnace in Daniel chapter 3. Everybody have a good Christmas break? I did. Absolutely. I spent um, about 10 hours a day in by myself in, <laughs> in the theater. Oh, you got a play coming up? My wife's got a musical coming up, so I was building the set. You kind of like it, don't you? Oh, I do. Okay. I enjoy it. Yeah, okay. I like. I like. It's 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 like a puzzle. It's problem solving. I love working with my hands, and I'm not complaining. Do you do you like working with the theater type people? Though, be honest. Yeah. Honest. It, it has it has its own. Honest. It has its own. Yeah. It has its own um, drama. Off the record. Yeah. No, I actually, I, I actually, there are very few of them that I don't like. Very few of them. That I, 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 I thought isn't this where the book was going to come from. There's all, all these stories. The, yeah, how's the Wilkin book? You can retire me. when you write that book. <laughs> Believe me. Confessions of a small town community theater. <laughs> it would be huge. You no, know what it would be. It probably would be. Like the Bridges of Madison County. I don't even know what that book's about. I, I don't know. But I live in Madison County, and I don't think it has anything to do with my county. I don't think it does either. We do have bridges, I think, though. Craig, how about you? We do, we do have bridges, yes. Uh uh, break was great. Absolutely great. Thank you very much. Got to spend lots of time with my children and uh, just playing away like crazy. So uh, good times, good times. And of course, uh, obviously worship and attending uh, all the programs and seeing family. So no, fantastic. Thank you. The proverbial Beth Schwarz in day two or three of my vacation is the, when are you going back to work? <laughs> and I don't blame her. Don't blame her at all. I, I don't blame her either. But it's hard because, you know, I can't just walk away from work. No. Now, unlike Deaconless Fredrickson, who I think was here like every day. Yeah, I heard, I heard my, <laughs> my my ring notification went off. I think it went off at like 8.30 in the morning and then again when she left at 5.30. I, I'm pretty sure. I was able to work remotely. I only had to come here twice during the break. One was on Christmas Eve when I called you and Craig came in. We had problems with our sacred music station. And... But most of the time, I just work remotely. remotely, and I'm thankful for that. Although, I don't think my wife and children are thankful for that. I think they'd just rather <laughs> I go into work, you know, 
You know, when when your your wife is a stay-at-home mom, her the the you realize that the home is kind of her office. It's her place. It's her place. Yeah. I mean, technically it's our place, but you know, I, I mean, lay out my legal pads, my papers on the kitchen counter, my and, MacBook yeah. Pro, and you know, it's uh, think think about somebody. Think if I just put a bunch of stuff on your desk. Yeah, every it sounds day. like uh, I've had this. We've had this conversation, my wife and I, increasingly over the years. I'm not allowed to leave anything on the kitchen counter. Not allowed. I just if I put a piece of mail there, what's this doing here? Where does that go? So, yeah, Beth even had a desk put in our master bedroom. I don't use it. I don't use it for some reason. I don't. I don't know. And and then I find myself like snapping at the the kids because they're because I'm trying work. to write something. They're not being loud or you know misbehaving, but I'm trying to write something and there's noise. So probably just be better. This way, I just, I just go to the theater. I just go to the theater and <laughs> my I'm out of my wife's hair. I'm doing what she wants me to do. It's it's a win win. So, so there's a they, bar next door. It's a win win. And I saw win, Solomon win. gave you some gin. Yes. Yes, I did see that and, on Facebook. And the, actually, the, the, the picture does not accurately show how large that bottle of gin was. It wasn't just the ordinary 750 milliliters or the double. It was a triple-sized jug of gin. Didn't even fit in. I had to make extra room in the place where all the bottles are up above the stove. Wow. So. Nice. So he, let me get this straight. So you can't put anything on the kitchen counter. You're going to get in trouble. And same with Jeff. Me, I got a stack on the kitchen counter. <laughs> Craig, you you will admit you do have hoarding tendencies, correct? Well, I mean, I wouldn't say hoard. No, I wouldn't say that. No. Okay. I mean, if I, I ask Tori, maybe I keep if things I ask Tori, your long. wife, yeah, maybe I keep things. Too, I like that. Maybe I keep things. No, I just keep things a little too long. I'm not a hoarder. Well past Craig, their yeah, well past I, I their think, welcome. I think had Craig not married Tori in about ten years, we'd see him on that hoarding. TV special. Oh, I would. I would. We would not be able to get him out of his five apartment years. or whatever. It would just be stacks of newspapers and that's still who knows good. What else. That's still good. What did you say? I like what you called it. What did you call it? You said what did you say, Craig? I keep a hold of it. Well past its its usefulness. That's what it was. There you go. There you go. I like it. First of all, before we get to uh, email in the comment line, thanks again to the most faithful and generous listeners in podcasting and radio for your financial support at the end of the year. And it's always nice to get the nice notes that come in. Oh, Some sure. people still write handwritten notes. And I, w- I was talking to Deaconess Fredrickson about this. Like, you really come to appreciate these more now than 10, 20 years ago because you just don't see them no. like that anymore. They're just the very, you know, you just don't get things like that. And it's always nice to, to read your notes of encouragement and also to letting us know that you pray f- for us. And what we do here. So thanks Absolutely. again. We deeply, deeply appreciate it. Let's begin with Kaylin. Kaylin writes, Dear Issues, etc. I was listening to the episode on dual income, no kids with Joy Pullman and wanted to offer some perspective as someone who is single and in my late 20s. I desire marriage and children, but as time passes, I am suspecting that I will probably always be called to singleness or at least not find a good partner in time to have a child. In this episode, and also episode 1651, A Normal Response to Feminism with Peachy Keenan, a point was made about having children to care for you in your old age. 
The part that stung a bit from both of these episodes is how much is made of the assumption that childless people will have no one to hold their hand on their deathbed. Quotes for reference, Todd said at 21-minute mark, it's a sad thing to consider. Who will be with these couples when they're on their deathbed? Joyce said, are you going to look back and say, I sure had good Instagram photos. Would it not be more meaningful if you had a grandchild's hand to hold on to? As a single person, these quotes are like being personally told, you're guaranteed to die sad and alone. While the comments above are meant for those who deliberately don't want kids and my intentions are not theirs, the outcome for us is both the same. I imagine that hearing the above quotes also stings for couples who desire children but cannot have them. I disagree that having no children or grandchildren to surround you on your deathbed should be something to feel worry or pity about. My accomplishments might not comfort me on my deathbed, but that doesn't mean my vocations and actions faithfully carried out over a lifetime didn't matter to God. I need to continue to trust when I get old, God will provide for my care. And like the beggar Lazarus, however forgotten or rejected, I am at the end. I'll be carried away ultimately to God's eternal presence. Thanks for the feedback and thanks for listening, Kaylin. Kaylin, I completely agree with your assessment there. And I will reiterate my gut reaction when I see someone online boasting about how great their life is without kids and how much time they have for themselves. And that's what we were responding to. We were responding to dual income, no kids, these videos that appear online where people basically are just kind of posting their lives and the premise is we have no kids. We can do this because we have no kids as though that's maybe a better decision than just receiving the kids as gifts from God as they should be. So that's what we were responding to. Joy was responding to that. Peachy was responding to that. I was responding to that. And I should have thought, how is this going to sound to someone who can't have kids, either because they're single or because they're infertile? I should have thought of that and at least offered some kind of a qualification. I will also say this. This notion of we don't have kids so we can travel as much as we want or eat out as much as we want or do whatever it is as much as we want is a very here and now perspective on life. It is it's a life that does not consider one's own mortality. That's why I talk about the deathbed because you do not consider what your life will be like at its end. In fact, some of these people may just live as though their life will have no end. And I think we need to be conscious of our mortality. This applies especially to Christians, of course. We need to be mindful, teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. But I think even an unbeliever lives a better life if they're mindful of the fact that they're not always going to be here. And mindful of the fact that their days are numbered, whether they believe they're numbered by God or not. Their days are numbered. I don't consider myself a particularly morbid person, but I think about my death every single day. I kind of always have. That's just maybe the strange quirk of my psychology. I think about my death every day. I think about this could be it. I wake up in the morning. It's one of, one of my very first thoughts after kind of surveying my aches and pains is this could be the last one. This is it. This might be the last day I get here. And I think that that could obviously become kind of a, morose obsession, but I think it sets everything in perspective. All the little things in your life, all the big things in your life. And it sounds to me, Caitlin, like you have that perspective. And don't give up. You say you desire marriage and children. Don't give up. You never know. 
keep praying. This is not a random crapshoot. This is not a, if God desires that you have marriage and children, he will give them to you. And so keep asking. Linda resides in Universal City, Texas. I'm a first-time listener to your podcast. A friend recommended your December 12th episode on life issues based on my 35 years of activism in the pro-life movement. It was an interview with Scott Klusendorf. Did I just hear him say correctly when discussing the different natures? Did Scott actually say that, quote, cats have a satanic nature, end quote? I am deeply shocked and appalled. Seriously. (laughs) Thanks for listening in Universal City, Texas, Linda. I think Scott was joking. In fact, I think I've heard him make that joke several times before when he's talking about the nature of something doesn't change over time. But the child in the womb is at the very first stages of development, whether the, the person has been born and the nature has not changed. And I think I've heard him toss in that little off-the-hand comment about cats having a demonic nature. I'm a cat lover, but I'm also realistic about cats. I don't think they're demonic necessarily. Some might be. <laughs> One thing I've learned about cats having owned dozens, well, two dozen at least, is that they are the most deceptive creatures in the world. Just by their very nature, they look wise as owls, but they are not smart animals. They really aren't. They're all 100% instinct. I have a dog. This is the latest of many dogs. I have a dog. She understands human language. She can spell. If I spell walk, W-A-L-K, she's over there just as quickly as if I said it without spelling it. Cat, I can point to something my dog will go over to where I point. That's a pretty complicated mental operation there. If I point at something and they look where I'm pointing and go there, cat, you could point at something all day long. They just don't have it in them. They're they're cute. They're fluffy. The one we have living in our garage today is, see, my daughter brought that one home pregnant when she was 15, so that would be, and she's 32, 17 years old. A 17-year-old cat living in the garage. She doesn't have a demonic nature, but she is not smart. I can guarantee you. When we come back, more listener email and the issues, etc. comment line. Just a joke from Scott Klusendorf. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we revel further in Colossians with Alive in Christ. Let no one disqualify you, things above. Mortify your members and the shape of the new life. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Unforgiveness is a prison, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January will help you break out of the unforgiveness in your own life. It's titled, Unforgivable? How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. Or learn more about Unforgivable at issuesetc.org. Unforgivable, How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives 
the Issues Etc. Book of the Month. Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc. Colorado Springs, gateway to the beauty of the Front Range and Pikes Peak, is the home of Shepherd of the Springs Lutheran Church. At Shepherd of the Springs, you will find the historic liturgy celebrated, our Lord's Word faithfully preached, and His holy body and blood distributed every Sunday at divine service. Information and service times can be found at sslc-cos.org. Shepherd of the Springs Lutheran Church, a proud sponsor of Issues Etc. For nearly 140 years, the Lutheran Witness has taught the faith, defended it against error, and shown forth the great treasures of the Lutheran Church and biblical doctrine. We're continuing this legacy by publishing issues and articles that help you see the world from a Lutheran perspective and that teach biblical doctrine and show forth the treasures of God's Word. Visit our website to learn more and how to subscribe, witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're going through listener email in the Issues Etc. comment line on this Tuesday, January the 2nd. Here's what Gerald writes. The missing commandment. The Roman Catholic Church took the 10th commandment found in one verse dealing with one subject, covetousness, see Exodus 20, 17, and divided it into two commandments, forcing it to be the 9th and 10th commandments. Luther did the same in his catechism. Did they do that to conceal the fact that the second commandment dealing specifically with idolatry is omitted? It makes sense that Roman Catholics would want to sweep under the rug the words, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Because their churches have always contained images and statues which they venerate, bow down, and to whom they pray. While it may make sense for them, it doesn't for Lutherans. To be fair, Martin Luther, I know that he covers idolatry very well in his explanations. Still, in the list of the commandments, something is missing, and it's the second commandment. I'm a confessional Lutheran, but I have this fear that the Reformed churches may have it over us on this one issue. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the email, Gerald. Well, I... The reason those various numberings of the commandments have very little to do with trying to hide anything. All of the, all of those who affirm the Ten Commandments affirm the commandment against gross idolatry. It's not against making graven images, but making graven images and worshiping those images. And I can prove that quite simply. When God commanded his people in a proper form of worship for both the tabernacle and the temple, he commanded them to make graven images. Graven images of the cherubim, the seraphim, and then other living creatures as well. But they were not to be worshipped. So if the commandment against graven images were a flat-out commandment against making any graven images, period, as some, some Christians continue to believe, then... It would be in violation of his own commandment by commanding his people to make graven images for the tabernacle and the temple. Uh, another graven image God commanded them to make was the bronze serpent, a graven image. And when they used it properly, it was God-pleasing. When they began to worship it, God had it just destroyed. So there's no attempt to hide anything. 
the way I've always taught it in catechism class is the graven images is simply an extension of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And that's how Luther read it. But it is not a blanket prohibition against making any graven images. Lutherans have, from their very beginning, embraced the imagery of the church, crucifixes, statuary, all kinds of depictions of Christ. We've embraced it. Some Christians reject it. It's quite odd that they reject them, say, in their worship services, but they still have picture books of Jesus for the Sunday school children. I don't know how they get around that. But the reason that Luther divided what others regard as the 10th commandment into two, the two covenant commandments, is because if you read those commandments, one of them has to do with animate objects. The other one has to do with inanimate objects. So we simply number them differently. Jews number them slightly differently. Other Christians, the numbering really doesn't matter. We know that there are 10 words. That's what they're called in the Old Testament, 10 words. And however you divide them up, as long as you're not leaving something out. And again, neither Roman Catholics nor Lutherans leave out the graven images. We simply say it's an extension of the first commandment. No matter how you divide them up, you still get them all in. Hi, this is Karen, your friendly neighborhood nutritionist, calling from Nevada, Missouri. This is regarding issue number 3352 from 12-1. Pastor Wilkin gave a great answer to Gordon's question about the Jews. In using Paul's teaching on the olive tree, Pastor Wilkin said, this is not replacement theology. You can call it grafted-in theology. That, then, begs the question, what is replacement theology, and is this a doctrine to which Lutherans hold? Thank you all. I'm looking forward to hearing the answer. Good day for now. Replacement theology is a term that has been coined usually by people of the dispensationalist bent, and that is a teaching that God has acted differently during different time periods from the beginning until now. It's the theology that is a lot of end times quackery is based on. So they accuse people who deny that God has his real plan is with the nation state of Israel and that God has unfinished business with Israel and with the Jews and that once the church has been, well, kind of whisked off the stage of the earth by a secret rapture, then God will get back to his most pressing business, his real plan. Some of them, uh, Dwight D. Pentecost in the dispensational spent, actually taught that Christ's crucifixion resurrection was plan B. It was not planned by God. It was something that he did because the Jews rejected Christ. What should have happened, he teaches is the Jews would have accepted Christ as their king, and then the millennium would have happened, and that would have been uh, the way God wanted it to happen. And he teaches that, no, the Jews thwarted God's will, rejected Christ, and God had to go to plan B, which is to have Christ crucified for the sins of all the world. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but yes, that's what he teaches. So they say, well, you are trying to replace Israel with the church. And my response is, no, we don't replace Israel with the church. We 
Israel was never the whole point. The point was Jesus. Israel was a means by which God would bring the Messiah into the world. It was always intended that he would, Paul says, crucified from before the foundation of the world. It was always intended that Christ would die for all people, that all people would have access to that eternal salvation that Paul likens to an olive tree. So there's no replacement taking place at all. It was always and ever about Christ. Israel has not been replaced by the church. The true Israel has finally been revealed to be the church, both Jewish and Gentile. And that's exactly what Paul teaches in Romans chapter 11. So that's what we, it's, it's a slur that dispensationalists use against those who reject their errors, saying you're trying to replace Israel with the church. And they entirely miss the point because Israel was always there as the seedbed from which the Messiah would spring. The Old Testament is full of this imagery, whether you're talking about an olive tree or the, or the root of Jesse, it's all throughout the Old Testament fulfilled in Christ in the new. Jessica has a great question. I've heard several pastors on issues, et cetera, talk about cremation versus burial. They've convinced me that burial is a better choice since it's a testament to bodily resurrection. What about organ donation? It seems the world's promotion of organ donation is you won't need them once you pass away, and that's not the Christian view of the body after death. But on the other hand, can't we serve our neighbors with life-saving organ donation? Thanks for the great question. Thanks for listening. Jessica. I think your second impulse is, is the right one there because we do not have a view of the resurrection that says, well, if you donate an organ, somehow you're trying to thwart. You're trying to love your neighbor posthumously. And, and so we do not hold a view of the body that says if, you, if something's missing or defective in this life, somehow that's going to carry over into the next life. The issue of cremation and burial, because we do not have a clear word of God, either prohibiting or encouraging one or the other, I think Christians must say prudentially, what does this practice confess? That's what you need to ask yourself. I would not bind consciences in any way against cremation or burial. All forms of interning and preserving or disposing of, in the most morally neutral sense, the body, all end up in the same place. They all do. Nobody can be preserved against its eventual decomposition. And I don't mean, when I say decomposition, I mean how it is composed falls apart. The body will eventually in time fall apart. The Bible teaches this dust. You are into dust. You will return. That is exactly what God said to Adam during the curse from dust. You came into dust. You will return. Does that command burial? No, it says you started out as elemental particles and guess what? Sooner or later, you'll go back to it. That is the nature of death. Are there ways that Christians care for the body after death that make a proper confession? And then are there ways of treating the body after death that confess something contrary to Scripture? Yes, and each person must determine for themselves what that is based upon God's Word. Go talk to a funeral director. If you think that showing up at the funeral director is having the body embalmed, placed in a casket, and then interned in the casket inside of a concrete vault 
covered with earth is somehow the best Christian option. There are no good options when someone dies. There are no good options, no perfect options there. Have we been given an example by the Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, and Christ himself? Yes, we have. Christ technically was not buried. He was interned in a tomb. His body, we say buried, but what we mean is put into the tomb. And had he not risen from the dead, had he been merely a man and died and death would have been the end of him in this life, they would have allowed his body to decompose in the tomb for about a year until it would turn to bones. Then they would have taken those bones and put them in an ossuary and they would have closed that up and put it in a family tomb. And you say, well, is that the example we should follow? Maybe if we were going to follow Christ's example perfectly as, as to how to care for the body, what would have happened to his body had he been merely a man? So the history here is of kind of messy misunderstanding. There are elements of the church that have tried so hard to preserve bodies that it's almost like the, the, the tomb of Stalin. You can go to some churches and you can see the remains of these saints from hundreds of years ago and some Christians will tell you, in particular, the Orthodox will tell you, oh, the sign that they were a saint is that the body has not decomposed at all. And I'm, look at it. They show this withered skeletal frame of a person, and they say it hasn't decomposed at all. Yes, it has. That doesn't look like a live person to me. The church has been fraught with a lot of misunderstandings about the resurrection and death and what to do with the body. What does it confess? What are we trying to confess? If, if someone is cremated in order to confess that the body's nothing, then they should not cremate. If we're trying to preserve a body so that we say somehow it's almost a talisman, that we think that death cannot decompose the body, then you should not bury. We'll follow the church's example that has variously done different things with the body. And there's a great paper that the Reverend Dr. Michael Come, one of my dear friends, the former chairman of the board for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, former funeral director, has written about this, and he says, we cannot bind consciences one way or the other. We have to confess the resurrection however we dispose of the body. Quickly, lots of positive feedback about our 24-7 sacred music station. Marsha writes, I just discovered LPR this December. I've been enjoying it so very much during this Advent season. As a lifelong Lutheran, the music is a joy Recalling all the hymns we were required to memorize when I was in Lutheran elementary school, I am 82 years old, I wonder if Lutheran schools even require this memory work along with the catechism as we were back in the 1940s. The hymn stanzas are so meaningful in recalling biblical teaching. In addition, I loved hearing the chanting, were they psalms, and of course all the choral and organ music. I will keep listening and looking forward to all the seasonal music to come in the church here, concludes Marcia. And this comes from Eunice in Wellington, South Australia. I am loving hearing the Christmas hymns and carols in so many different languages. Thank you for your wonderful music. And thank you for listening in South Australia, Eunice. And that's what Jeff was doing a lot through the uh, Christmas holiday. Jeff and Craig were up here trying to make sure the music stayed on. We had some sort of technical issue with the music, and they were both here on their vacation days trying to make sure that we have music for our listeners on 
Lutheran Public Radio through the Christmas it's, season. It's only the ninth day of Christmas, so we have three and a half more days of sacred Christmas music. You can listen at LutheranPublicRadio.org, Amazon Alexa, Google Home, Apple HomePod, or the LPR mobile app. Look for Lutheran Public Radio, sacred music for the world, and right now, sacred music for the Christmas season. When we come back, we'll be teaching a Sunday school lesson. Pastor Tom Baker of Law and Gospel will get us into Daniel 3 and the three men plus one in the fiery furnace. If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. Bequests aren't subject to federal tax or capital gains taxes. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the word of the Lord endures forever. As we bid farewell to the old year and welcome the new, let's embrace the promise of new beginnings. In this journey, we are reminded that each year is a gift from the Creator, filled with opportunities, hope, and blessings. Wishing you a new year where your faith is strengthened, your joy abounds, and you find God's grace in every moment. Happy New Year! From Lutheran Church Extension Fund. At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. We love our on-demand listeners. You're listening to Issues Etc. When Martin Luther preached the dedication for the Torgau Church, he asserted that nothing else happened in this house but that our dear Lord speak to us and we respond in prayer, thanksgiving, and praise. Issues Etc. guest Dr. John Pless. The same could be said of Concordia Theological Seminary. This is a place where our Lord speaks to us through his word, and we respond in joyful and thankful confession. We therefore invite you to visit our campus where the word of Christ dwells among us richly. Learn more about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Forming Servants in Jesus Christ to Teach the Faithful, Reach the Lost, and Care for All. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. ctsfw.edu or 1-800-481-2155. 